Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 49, entitled, Love is the Answer, Part 2. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You want to run over there, grab yourself a Bible. Uh, get ready with notes. If you don't have those, those are going to be downloaded off of our our website. They're part of our uh, whole package that we present here. Hope you're sticking with us and uh, studying. Uh, of course, you can read ahead. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13 probably five or six more times together just because love is, is, is a big theme in the Bible, of course. So we're going to be there in just a minute. We started last time with uh, introducing that theme, and so we're going to continue with it today. So let's pray together and ask for God's help as we study. Heavenly Father, we we do ask that you would help us to understand, open our eyes, fill us with your spirit, Lord. It's your, your enabling that, that makes, us, um, makes us able, God, to be able to understand and makes us able to be able to proceed and, and apply, uh, which we desperately need and our world desperately needs us to do. Thank you, God, for being patient with us, Lord, as we learn about patience today. God, I pray that you would infuse us with it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Verses 1 through 3 here, just a second. We saw last time that it doesn't matter how gifted you are, doesn't matter what you know, doesn't matter what you do or what you sacrifice. Uh, if we don't have love, well, uh, then we are nothing. Let's, let's, let's read those very things. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, it's the gifts, if you will, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if that was possible, I don't know that God allows that, but if, if it were, and have all faith so as to move mountains, wow, but do not have love. I'm nothing. That's a huge, huge statement. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I deliver my body to be burned, just a sacrifice, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What, what Paul lines out for us here is what we would otherwise consider to be an extremely religious life. Do you not agree? So conspicuous spirituality, limitless knowledge, uh, extreme faith, unbounded generosity, ultimate sacrifice, all, he says, add up to just zeros. So if I have... What's the difference between three zeros and 20 zeros? Nothing. They're all zeros. 20 times zero, 100 times zero makes no difference. All these things just simply are zeros without love. On the other hand, if I have a string of zeros, but I have the number one out in front of those zeros, I've got a really big number. See, listen, it's awesome. These things can be awesome things. Knowledge and spirituality and faith and generosity and sacrifice. If love is the undergirding principle. So, so love is so incredibly important. And we've been, we've been looking at that. Uh, uh, the, one of those in this list, the, the gift of knowledge. I mean, we, 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 we harp on that one. We certainly do, certain all the other ones. But knowledge is one of those things that's hard to, hard to get around. We saw last time that it's not our doctrine that tells the world that we're believers, it's our love. But we focus on doctrine, of course, what, the Bible is doctrine. So, so it's hard, how do we balance these two? What's the, the juggling act, especially, like I said, since doctrine, 
the doctrine and love are in tandem all the way out through, through the Scriptures. If, if I'm espousing uh, to throw out doctrine uh, for the sake of love, as someone says, uh, you know, the letter kills. Well, no, we're not saying that at all. We're not saying that at all. We have to hold doctrine, but how do we balance between doctrine and love? It's not an easy, jugg- easy juggling act. I mean, you can't have true love without doctrine, but very sound doctrine without love is nothing, absolutely nothing. And so the question of which one is more important than the other, we don't get rid of either one of them, but we balance them. And how do we balance them? And the question of the balance comes by simply answering the question, which one of these is an end in and of itself? Doctrine or love? Doctrine is a means to an end. Doctrine teaches me and changes me, but let's be honest, or let's be logical, heaven's not going to be a place of doctrine. We're all going to be of the same, same doctrine. It's not going to be a place of instruction. Down here it's a place we have to have doctrine, but it, it's a means to an end, but love is an end. These three remain, faith, hope, as it ends the chapter, and love going to be part of what heaven's like. Heaven's going to be a place of relationships, not doctrine. We're all going to have the same doctrine when we get there. Doctrine is a means to an end. Love is an end within itself. So when we balance these, we need to remember which one is the most. When, when there's a question between one and the other, which one matters the most? Love does. Love always does. Be careful how you juggle these because if you drop in particular one of these, namely love, it can have some dire consequences. Listen to this very doctrinally sound church in Revelation. Jesus writes to seven churches, seven letters to seven churches, an introduction to uh, seven cover letters, if you will, to the book of Revelation. And he writes to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says, among other things. Notice, notice the, his, the accolades he gives this church. Now, I would ask the question as we read this, if you're picking churches, would you pick this church? Watch what he says. I know your deeds and your labor. And perseverance, sounds good so far, right? And that you cannot tolerate evil people, and that you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not. That is, you, do you know how to put an apostle to the test? Some, some, some powerful doctrine they got going on there. You found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured on my account and have not become weary. Wow, I, I you know, at least up to this point, I would join this church. That's a doctrinally sound church but but watch what happens in a doctrinally sound church that is devoid of love here we go next verse or next two verses verses four and five of the same chapter but jesus says nevertheless or but i have this against you you can hear the pink slip coming right so you've done good but nevertheless yeah the pink slip is definitely coming because watch you have left your first Love, there is something more important than doctrine, even very sound doctrine that this church had. Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The whole purpose of the church is to bear light. That's what a lamp does. So Jesus is going to take away this church's capacity to accomplish its purpose. In other words, the church ceases to exist. It doesn't mean they don't meet together. It just simply means Jesus really isn't a part of it anymore. No longer a church. No longer. Why? Because of doctrine? No. There are other churches that Jesus writes to of the seven that are not near as doctrinally sound, but he doesn't threaten to dissolve them, if you will. 
Because although they don't have doctrinal soundness necessarily, they do have love. And this church, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. Interesting. Sobering. So, we need to take a look at God's caliber of love so that we can learn how to operate within that definition. So we have the three, first three verses that effectively says you can have all the characteristics of what otherwise would be considered to be a very religious life and had them add up to zero without love. And then he starts his description of love in verse 4. We're only going to read the first little clause. Love is patient. Love is patient. Sounds simple, right? I guess in some ways it is, at least descriptively, it definitely is. Isn't it interesting of all the words that the Holy Spirit could pick from, of all the words in the list that we're going to be going over together in our times together looking at love, isn't it interesting that of all the words he could have picked from that he puts patience first? So, so I want you to think about, think about it this way. Patience, according to the Holy Spirit, is the threshold that we have to cross to get into love. Our first step in the direction of love is in the direction of patience. Think of it also this way. These other attributes of love don't matter. or We can't affect them. They won't affect us. or we won't, they, won't, they won't run through our lives unless we first are patient. So, so it is the threshold that we have to cross. I want you to think about it that way. Patience is foreign in our culture. It's just, we just don't have it anymore. Uh, it reminds me of a cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes, he's, and Calvin is reading the directions to a microwave dinner. And as he's reading the directions to microwave dinner, he says, it takes six minutes to cook this? Who's got that kind of time? Six minutes, I mean, really. Uh, of all the time, you know, certainly we can take six minutes to cook something, but it's kind of the, 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 the mentality of our culture, microwave society. Everything has to be fast. Everything has to be quick. Everything has to be chop, chop, snap, snap. And if it isn't, we have no patience for that. I'd be willing to bet that most of us who are listening to this message, including the one preaching it, most of our pet peeves have something to do with patience. Let me just name a few things. How about long lines? Do you love those? It's your favorite, right? How you doing with that? How about waiting for hours at a doctor's office past your appointment schedule? Hmm. Slow service at McDonald's or some other restaurant. How you doing with that? How about uh, uh, slow drivers in the fast lane? How about long sermons? How you doing with those things? You see, patience is the basis or the lack of it the base of a lot of, a lot of our pet peeves. And we lack patience, and we're believers. We have the Spirit of God living in us. So guess what it's like in the world? Way worse. No patience whatsoever. So, so here's, here's, here, here's an insider tip. Listen, we have a great opportunity to shine. If, if we're just a little more patient than the world, it, it will shine very brightly. And if we're really patient, we allow God's Spirit to work out His patience in our lives, we can be such a shining example of what a Christian ought to be. What an incredible opportunity we have for people to see that there really is a work of God 
going on in our lives through the opportunity of patience. So let's define what patience is according to the scripture so that we can know, get a better idea of what we're aiming at here. The word, the Greek word for patience is the word macro through thumeo. Macro thumeo. Macro refers to distance. Macro, micro, right? So macro means to be at a distance, whereas micro means to be close up. Not necessarily big or small, it's just the view of things, if you will. Microscope, macroscope means you're backing way up. Macro thumeo, thumeo means anger, so if we add macro to thumeo, we get anger that is far away, at a distance. How far away, personal question, how far away is your anger? Just below the surface or far away? Just around the corner? Uh, 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 just a, a, a thin crust of composure? Uh, when God is allowed to work His work in our lives, what we're going to find is one of the characteristics that come out of us is patience. The Spirit of God working in our lives, and one of the ways He works, or the primary way He works, is working God's love in our lives. And one of the chief characteristics, in fact, the number one on the list, is patience. Anger becomes further and further from us. You show me a person who quickly flies off the handle, and I will show you a person who has not surrendered to the Spirit of God. Not a matter of my opinion. It's just simply a matter of facts. It's a matter of logic. Just simply read the Scriptures. You'll see that. Not to mean they're not a Christian. It does mean they're not under control of the Spirit of God. Patience is a work of God in our lives. So how, what part can we play? Since it's God's work, it's His power. It's a supernatural working. So the Spirit of God working the love of God in our lives will produce, among other things, patience, right? <clears throat> By the grace of God, our world needs that. So, so how can we participate in that? Well, number one, abide in Christ. <clears throat> number one, abide in Christ. Look at what this says, John 15, 5. Got to need a drink of water. <clears throat> abide in Christ. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. That's the same word, by the way, nothing, <coughs> that Paul uses. <coughs> Excuse me. Still have this remaining COVID cough thing going on. Same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 to describe what we are, even though we're gifted, even though we're sacrificial and everything else, even though we're full of faith, but we have not love. We are nothing. <coughs> Sorry, major tickle in the back of my throat. So, number one, abide in Christ. Number two, this is important, take your foot off the accelerator. What do I mean by that? I, I just mean simply this. Speed is addictive to, to the point where we, we have to have it. And if we don't get it, we lose our patience over it. Here's what I mean. I, I got to travel, <coughs> as an example, to Europe in the early 90s. And we rented a car. And we traveled, the, among other things, the German Autobahn, speeds of 115, 120, 125 miles an hour. There were occasions when we would get into slower traffic and have to slow down to around 90 or 100 miles an hour. It was crazy how quickly I got driving the car, got addicted to going super fast. We'd slow down to 90, I'd be like, come on, what's the problem with the traffic? We got places to be, we're only traveling 90 miles an hour. 
Well, I mean, I, hadn't, I was only there a week. And within a short week, I was already addicted to the, to the pace. Speed is very addicting. And we try to keep up with our world and then wonder why we act like they do. You need to slow down. You and I need to. What, what part can we participate in this, in this process of God working his patience in us? We need to take our foot off the accelerator. Uh, one, one of the Ten Commandments is on the seventh day rest. Now, God doesn't hold us anymore in the New Testament to, to resting on a Sabbath day, but the principle of rest, one in seven, is critical. Critical. It's an act of faith for me to stop for a whole day and just say, you know what? I'm stopping. There's stuff I need to do. There's stuff that matters, but I need to stop, refocus, regenerate, because God is the one who created me, and he says that if there has got to be one day in seven, got to be one in there in which I take my foot off the accelerator. Regular time for rest and worship is an abiding principle. You say, but I've got all kinds of other things to do. I bet it's not near as important as your testimony Christ. I don't care what it is. And if those things that you're doing and not resting over are causing you to have lack of patience, so for what reason are you here apart to represent Christ and to demonstrate his love in your life? And the first step into that is patience. We're flying down the Audubon of life, running over all those we were left here to reach. The devil isn't just in um, the rush. The devil is the rush. Push, push, push. Go, go, go. Run people over. Run ourselves and our lives and not really considering what really matters in this world. I mean, let me ask you a personal question or a direct question. Do you really think your waiter cares about your views on the atonement as much as he would care about how patient you are and how kind and generous you are? Hmm. Not to say that the atonement doesn't matter. He's not near as interested in your, your extrapolated theology as he is your practical theology, your applied theology. Another question. Do you think that that mechanic who didn't get the part in because of supply chain issues really cares that you haven't missed church in three months? I bet not, especially if you aren't patient with him and understanding towards him. I mean a lot more to him. Those things will. I guarantee it. Does your, listen, your employee really care that you believe in the pre-trib rapture? I bet she doesn't. I bet she doesn't, not near as much as she would care about how patient you could be towards her. How, how, how distant your anger is towards her. Does your checkout girl at HEB or Walmart care whether you read your Bible every day? I bet she doesn't. I bet she far more cares that you're patient, that the love of God in your life and your abiding in Him and surrendering to that Spirit of God is working patience in your life. It makes a huge difference. See, uh, uh, theoretical theology, or not theoretical, but just doctrine as opposed to applied doctrine, massive, massive difference. What they need to see is Jesus with skin on. And that is our job. How are you doing with that? Most patient person, the most kind and generous, the most loving person ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ. He, now we are his hands and we are his feet. 
He should be allowed to live his life through us. And how's that going to work out? It's going to be demonstrated in our love, ultimately, in, our, in this case, in our patience. It's called applied theology. Take your theology and apply it to your life. No one cares what you know. If it hasn't made a difference in you, you're not different than the rest of the world. Who cares about your theology, truly? Of what good is it? It's, not, it's of no good to this world, that's for sure. When we are patient with people, on the other hand, even with those, listen, and I know, who deserve to be hit over the head, even with those who are committed to be the crabgrass in the lawn of life, if you will, we're patient with these people. Here's what we're doing. We're acting like God. God is so patient with us. God is so patient with this sinful world. Sometimes I look at this world and see the wicked people and think, how could God put up with these people? Well, on a number of levels, one of those is patience. Do not forget that the door to salvation is still open to this world because of the patience of God. 2 Peter 3.9, take a look. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is, there it is, patient. Why? Because that's love. He loves us. Patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Because of the love of God that the door of salvation is still open. And for some of us, the only reason why we're still here alive today is because, well, God is patient, isn't he? Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget that. You show me a person who's not very patient, and I'll show you a person who doesn't know how patient God has been with them. Be reminded of all that God has done for you, how patient he's been for you, with you, and that will help you greatly in being patient with others. Our world needs to see love. Starts with patience. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your great patience toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You hold the door of salvation open because your, your great love your great love demonstrated in your patience, holding back the tide of judgment upon this world because you don't want people to get what they deserve. You want people to get what you want them to have, which is your presence, which is heaven, which is everlasting life. God, we thank you for that patience. So we ask you to work that patience in us. Our world so desperately needs it and is so devoid of it. And it's such a great opportunity that we have to shine. God, we just don't want to miss that opportunity. God, I thank you for teaching us. Thank you for this, the love chapter. We look forward to the more things that we're going to learn there. We ask these things, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.